I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now, on the trip over there, they told this uh, crazy little joke. I mean, Louis and uh, what's his name? Uh, Boaz. I mean, they was like a competition. And it, it was fun to listen to them. Who could outwit the other one? And so I would tell people, I said, you don't tell Jewish jokes on Jews. Let the Jew tell the Jewish jokes. And then you can chime in here and there, but uh, usually you don't do that. And, uh, but anyway, all rules were broken. It was, Katie, bar the door, here they come. But anyway, they um, said that this uh, monk signed up to be, you know, a monk, go to this monastery and supposed to be a seven-year silence, seven-year vow of silence. At the end of seven years, he gets to say two words. So after the end of the first seven years, they brought him in and says, um, what would you uh, like to talk about? You get two words. So he says, um, food's bad. Seven more years passed, brought him back in, says, um, what would you like to say? Bed's hard. Seven more years passed. He says, well, what would you like to say? I quit. He says, well, you ought to quit. All you've done is complain since you've been here. <laughs> I like this guy. He, he laughs at my jokes. So y'all hold back. That, that, I like a guy that don't hold it back. But in chapter 7 of the uh, book of Matthew, after he's talked about a particular subject, it kind of gets into something else. And he says in the verse 24, therefore... Now, there's something that I'm supposed to understand because of what went before it. In other words, this is true. Therefore, and I never really saw what's the therefore, therefore, because it didn't seem like it has any continuity. There's, it doesn't flow together. It's like two different total subjects. But it says in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. When the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus had, yes, he had authority. He spoke in such a way that uh, he could tell some of the best stories. He was a great storyteller. He spoke in parables at times because of a mixed um, audience. And uh, those who really wanted to know, he could say a parable. And those that wanted to know the truth could understand it. And those that didn't really want to know, they couldn't get it. And so that's what happens with all of my jokes that I tell. Only those who really want to get it, get it. And those that don't really want to get them, don't get them. So it's only a part of just applying the scriptures to my jokes. But in this little story that we just read, almost every little child has learned in Sunday school the little story about, you know, uh, the wise man built his house upon a rock. And the floods, rains came, the floods came, but his house stood firm. 
And the foolish men built his house upon the sand. See, y'all remember that. And the, the winds came, the rains came, and it fell down. And there's a little song that goes with it. I'm not going to sing that tonight. But I wanted to look at it a little bit more and how can it relate to what's just been said. Because he says, and great was the fall of it. And, and there were people who were anticipating going into heaven. And when they found out, when he said, depart from me, I never knew you, what that must have felt like when everything you have known and worked for and lived for comes crashing down. To find out that, lo and behold, you really were not going to heaven and it's too late. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Wouldn't it be terrible to have come to this church and you've heard the same message a thousand times? You've seen the illustrations that we use and the clarity of the gospel and you not really have trusted the Lord as your Savior. Is it possible? Is it possible for a person to come to this church and hear it all these years and still never trust the Lord? I believe there's going to be a lot of people like that. That we assume they have understood and not really understand and not really know they're going to heaven. Because you can't know you're going to heaven until you know that you cannot go to hell. It's impossible. You can't do it. So your security comes because you know that you can't go to hell. And the only way you can know that you can't go to hell is that there can be no sin unpaid for. So the value of knowing the truth of the doctrine of salvation is that Christ paid for all sin. And especially my sin. He paid for my sins. Well, if he paid for them, you don't have to pay for something twice. But the only thing I have to do is to believe he did it for me. So when I believe that, he gives me eternal life. Now, notice in verse 12. I want to back up, and then I want to come through it again. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In other words, we call it that uh, the golden rule, do unto others before they do unto you. Do unto others and then split. No, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So however you want people to treat you, you're supposed to treat them that way. However you want your husband to treat you, we'll treat him that way. However you want your wife to treat you, we'll treat her that way. And it'd be surprising how wonderful it would be if everybody would just remember that. But lo and behold, we don't. If she hurts me, bam, I'm going to get her back if it's the last thing I do. So then he says here in verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And then he talks about the narrow gate, few that be that find it. Now we know that there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of destruction. So there's a lot of people who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior because they believe they can save themselves. They're lifted up with pride, and so they're not going to humble themselves and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so there's many on this road to destruction. In other words, they're on their way to hell. Many. Few, in verse 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and that's eternal life, few there be that find it. So it looks like there's more people that are going to be lost than are going to be saved. Now, I'm not definite on that, but just going by what I understand on these verses, it seems like there's few that will actually find 
the truth. Because there's so many people listening to the wrong things. We have a lot of preachers on the radio today. And they're always teaching works for salvation. You've got to deserve salvation. Well, nobody can ever deserve salvation. So they either front load the message or they back load the message. And what it means is you've got to turn from your sins to be saved. That's works for salvation, any way you cut it. That means the lost man can't get saved the way he is. He has to turn from his sins. Stop sinning. Or how many sins do you turn from? How many do you got to stop? So that is not the truth. God can save a man because he is a sinner. That's the only qualifications you have to have is you've got to be a sinner. They want you to stop your sin so you can be a saint so that God can save a saint. Well, there's none of those to save. Now get this. When he makes the statement here in verse 15, beware of false prophets. How can you tell a false prophet? Well, because a false prophet has a false message. And a false message gets wrong results. It gets people to trust in the false message. And so he gives an illustration here. And he talks here in the verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistle? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, and a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. So it's either one way or the other. In other words, only a, a good tree can bring forth good fruit, and a bad tree brings forth bad fruit. So it's one way or the other. You're either a good tree or a bad tree. Well, when Jesus Christ came into the world, he says, the axe is laid to the root of the tree, Matthew chapter 3. In other words, he's going to cut down every tree that bringeth not forth the fruits of righteousness. And so since no man can bring forth the fruits of righteousness, God says he's going to cut down every tree. So all who sin shall die. So every man is a bad tree because every man has a, well, bad fruit. So the fruit's not the problem. It only reveals the root. We have a root problem. And the root problem is we are all born with a sinful nature. So God's going to cut down all the trees that have a sinful nature. But how do you get to be a good tree? Jesus was the only good tree. And that's why in the book of uh, Isaiah 53, and he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Jesus was the tender plant, the good tree, because he was perfect. So Jesus always had fruit, righteous fruit. He never committed one sin. He never had one bad fruit on his tree. All of us have bad fruit. So when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you are now a new tree. It's not the old tree reformed or converted. God did nothing for that old man. He just simply gave you a new birth, which was born of God. So if it's born of God, so my first birth is a bad tree. I got a bad root. I trusted Christ as my Savior, got a new birth and a new root. Came from the seed of the Word of God, which is incorruptible, not possible of creating sin. So my new birth, born of God, cannot sin. My old birth can't perform righteousness. Totally opposites, totally against each other. 
So many people believe that all God did was just try to change this old man over here. And if there's no change, he can't be saved. Well, that's because they don't get it. He didn't save the old man. He gave you a new man. The new man cannot sin. And because it cannot sin, it cannot die. If it cannot die, how long would it live? Forever and ever and ever. But when a false teacher teaches people to trust in their works, the only thing they can do is try to clean up this old man. Send him to church. Get him to pray. Get him to give money, support, do all these good things. And if he does all these things, then... He might make it someday. So there's people who put in their trust in their works, but they're expecting to get to heaven because some nut told them and they trust in their works. So he says here in verse 21, not everyone that saith to him, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Now, the will of the father in John chapter 6, 28 and 29 talks about what shall we do that we might do the works of the father? He says, believe on him whom he hath sent. The only work that anybody can ever say, if you want to say that, is simply believe on Christ. It means trust him as your Savior. It's not based upon your performance. Salvation cannot be the results of a commitment to serve. Salvation is made because of a decision to trust. I made a decision when I was 18 years old to trust Christ to take me to heaven. After that, I decided I wanted to serve the Lord. So I made a decision to commit my life to Christ, but I didn't do that to be saved. And that's how people get things mixed up. They got the cart before the horse. Now get this. So he says here in verse 22, many will say to me in that day. Now this many here is the same many that's over there in verse 13. Many are on the broad way to destruction, but they don't know it. So many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied as though this is why they should get in? Look what we did. We prophesied in your name. And he says, and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful. What's the next word? Works. Look at the works that we did. So they were trusting in their works to get them in. And Jesus says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Did you know it's a sin to go to church and a sin to read your Bible and a sin to do all kind of good deeds if you're dependent upon that to get you to heaven? If you're trusting in your good deeds, your works to get you to heaven, then what you're trusting in is a sinful thing. And that's why God says, workers of iniquity. Look what they were doing, casting out devils in his name. Did many wonderful works. And what did he call them? And that's why in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah in 64, and he says uh, about the workers of iniquity. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. So God says you don't trust in your works. And so he says in verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Then it gets into this other section. And so I uh, wanted to bring out a couple of points to you that you may totally disagree with. Then it, it won't cause me to spend, you know, a sleepless night. I'll still go to bed and sleep just as good. But because it was talking about building your house, 
I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Proverbs. Hold your place here. Coming back. Proverbs chapter 14. The book of Proverbs and chapter 14. And there's a verse I want you to see. Believe it or not, it talks about a woman. And look in chapter 14 and look in verse 1. Verse 1 and verse 2. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. There is the wise person and then there's the fool. There's one who can build and there's one who destroys. Now, that's the same principle that we find there in the book of Matthew in chapter 7. And then he says in verse 2, He that walketh in his uprightness feareth the Lord. But he that is perverse in his ways despise him. So there's a, you know, a contrast between somebody who is righteous and someone who is not. Between someone who fears the Lord and someone who despises the Lord. So when he says, if you build your house upon these sayings of mine, then you shall be wise. But if you don't, you're like building on sand and your house is going to fall apart. So... Let's take it back to you as an individual. Not just about salvation and going to heaven. I'm not there yet, but I'm still here. But I do believe that God wants me as an individual to be a strong person. So if I was as an individual, and I desire to be strong, and I desire to be wise, well, then I've got to find out, well, what does God say about things? So I can discern better. If I want to build a house. Now, up in Georgia, I built me a house. It's built like a fortress, I tell you that. I've got a big old metal tank underground that's made out of about three-eighths inch steel. I mean, it's solid. And it's underground, and it's eight foot high, 16 foot long, and i got bunk beds and all kind of stuff in there. I mean, if there's a hurricane or a tornado, I ought to feel partly safe. It's just that I'm so far away, if something happens, I won't be able to get to it. But maybe somebody else will have a good time. I hope they do. But I, um, I built all of my walls out of 12-inch block, and then I filled them. And then I built uh, inside of them with two-befores. Uh, it's, uh, it's incredible. I really enjoy doing it. But I built it solid, and I also built it up on a rock, solid rock. That house cannot move or settle, and it's on a rock. And so I feel comfortable about doing it because I always wanted to build something that I could take a, a little bit of pride in, you know. So that's what I've done. And take your Bible and turn there to the book of Psalms, 127. Psalms 127. And you'll notice that um, it says something here. That except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So if God is going to build your life, then you got to listen to what he says and let him tell you how to build your life so you can be a strong person. Because the winds are going to come and the floods are going to come. But you want to remain solid. You want to be strong in the Lord. So you listen to what he has to say. The sayings of God. Listen to what he has to say. You say, well, I'm trying to, I can't see God. Well, you don't have to see him. All you got to do is hear his voice. Well, where are you going to hear his voice? Faith cometh by Hearing and hearing by the, well, lo and behold, there you are. So when you read and study the word of God, you listen to what he has to say. And he will warn you about some things that are not right, that are not wise to do. 
Don't build your life upon sand because you will not have a strong life. You're going to fall apart under pressure. Every one of us have pressure. And so we've got to make decisions all the time. And you don't want to be one of those that uh, you're only as strong if it, nothing goes wrong. But if something starts going wrong, you begin to panic and live in fear. So look what he says here in verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So God wants us to, as his children. I believe the, there's many who live a destroyed life. Their lives are not what God wants them to be. They're not strong individuals. I'm talking about in the spiritual sense. There's a lot of people who can accumulate money and wealth of all kinds. But that's not the same as being spiritually strong. Because they may not be strong to stay away from the temptation, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And they fall for those things. I used to tell people this years ago, and I know they didn't get it. They thought I was just trying to brag. I says, I have fought more fights than Cassius Clay. Some people call him Muhammad Ali. And I fought more fights than uh, Mike Tyson. Now, they're supposed to be mean fighters, good fighters, great fighters. I says... They can't hold a candle to my life. And I mean every word of that. They're not strong. And they wasted their lives. All they've done and accomplished in life is just go around beating up on somebody. Well, that's great. At least I can say, how many people are going to be in heaven because of them? Can they still win the battle against the devil? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. How strong are these guys? They're not strong. Physically, maybe, but there's a lot more strength and character that it takes to overcome the things of this world and serve the Lord with all your heart. That takes a soldier. That takes a strong soldier that doesn't become entangled with the affairs of this life. So anyway, that's uh, my view on it. But like he says, except the Lord build the house, you're wasting your time. Now go back there to the book of Matthew in chapter 7. So in Matthew chapter 7, you'll notice that um, if I was talking to a husband and a wife, and many times I'm talking to husbands and wives, and sometimes kids, but remember there in verse 12 when he says, as we would say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I would tell a, a husband, treat her the way you want to be treated. Wife, treat him the way you want to be treated. It would solve so many problems. Do you want to be hollered at, yelled at, screamed at? No, then don't do it. So peace, so love. So all the things you want to reap, and if you want to reap peace of mind and patience and all those things, sow that. Sow the things you're supposed to sow, and you'll reap the things you're supposed to reap. But that's the better way to look at it. Now look in verse 13. So in verse 13, when he talks about these two ways... The broad way, the narrow way. One, the narrow way leads to the good life. Because, you see, after you get married, you should go the Lord's way and listen to what the Lord has to say. And you'd be surprised how much wiser you will be, how much better your home fellowship and all those things will be if you do what God says to do. The man is supposed to be the head of the home. And the wife is supposed to submit herself to her husband. 
But when there's always the arguments going on like this, something's wrong spiritually. Somebody's not right with God. And so it's better that you understand that broad way of thinking like everybody else instead of the way God wants you to think is going to destroy. It can destroy your home, destroy you as a person. Or you can do what God has to do. And if your marriage falls apart, you as an individual don't have to fall apart. But you'd be surprised at the things that I've seen over the years. I asked somebody this the other day. I says, what is the biggest cause of divorce? Marriage. Well, wouldn't you agree with that? Anyway, it's about 50% now. 50%. Of people who get married don't make it. You say, well, who, who gives you the right to say anything? Well, John, I'm going to be married 58 years in another week. That's this week, ain't it? Is it eight this week? Well, slap my mouth. It is. Time really moves on. Friday. Thanks. I appreciate that. I don't want to forget. Man, that'd be terrible. <laughs> After what I'm talking about? That's why you put blinders on a horse and you got to put blinders on that man of yours, you know, so that he keeps his focused and the way it should be. Now, you'll notice in verse 15 down there, it talks about two animals, a sheep and a wolf. But I can also apply that to marriage. You say, how in the world can you apply that to marriage? Woman, stay harmless, helpless, and the man, stay wolf. I used to teach the teenagers this. I say, now, you know, there's a thing called puppy love. You know, where the, you just look at each other and go, <laughs> you know, like a puppy. Now, you know, a puppy love can lead to a dog's life. But it's real true to puppy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you see, and I tell the girls, I said, that when he just looks at you like that, that's not, not too bad. But what is bad is when it looks at you and goes, you run and don't look back for 30 years. But the man is supposed to be aggressive. The woman's supposed to be a sheep. She's helpless. But we got today, we got the men that are the sheep and the, the woman is the, the wolf and she takes control of the whole home. It's not supposed to be that way. Man is supposed to be the leader of the home, and the wife's supposed to keep her position, and when he gets out of control, it's, uh, it's not good. So, yes, you've got those two things right there. And then when two people do get married, what's the first thing, usually, that, you ever heard that there song, uh, love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a, a what? Horse and carriage. Horse and, carriage. and there's something about... Baby carriage? Maybe it's not in there. That's it. You remember it. You remember that. Uh, that's uh, older than I am, so I, that's why I didn't. But, you know, usually after two people get married, somewhere along the line, you know, there's uh, one little, two little, three little Indians. And they start having the fruit. Well, that's the fruit. But the first thing you need to do is to teach them the difference between the flesh and the spirit. And you know, the old nature and the new nature. When should you lead kids to the Lord? When they get to be an adult so they can think they'll be smarter and wiser. 
No. Why, they're kids. In the days of thy youth, thou hast known the scriptures when you were a child. So that's why it's better to teach your kids the, the thing about the flesh and the, the new birth and that get the kids to know Christ as Savior. And I believe that's the most important. And they should be able to live with the confidence that they know that they're going to go to heaven. Now, in verse 21, you have two wills. You have the will of man and you have the will of God. And so they have to learn how to discern between the will of man as it contrasts with the will of God. And if you do that, they can be smarter and wiser down the road to make the right decisions for their own personal life. Because one of these days, these kids, they're just liable to get married and have some kids. And you want to help them all that you possibly can. Now, I'll say this at this point. There's times in my life that I've wondered whether or not have we ever taught our kids anything at all. And then sometimes you just have to cut it and let it go and uh, let God deal with them. And uh, he'll teach them some things that I failed to teach them. And lo and behold, some of them, they come back around. They don't even have to say it. They just start, you know, picking up some of those traits that you had when they were young and you demonstrated it, and now they're giving their kids the same advice you used to give them. Don't you just love it? Have you ever said, I can't wait for you to get married and have seven kids just like you? Now, you didn't say that, but you thought it. Because you know that'll teach them. And you want them to learn. You love them to death. But uh, sometimes they just, have you ever seen kids that are hard-headed? Just plain hard-headed. Aren't you glad you were never like that? Always be patient with people who are now where you once were, and you need patience. I think about there's two little boys in this church, cute as can be, Jan and Lucia. They have two great little boys, and they're little darlings, but one of these days, they're going to be those teenagers, and they're growing up, and that's when they find out, what do we know about raising kids? They'll teach you things you never thought about. Like this one dad got bored and he says, all right, son, it's time that we talked about the facts of life. He says, sure, Pop, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, but in the verse 21, there's the will of man in contrast with the will of God. And they're not the same. So you've got to teach these things in line. So I see through these very same scriptures something that I could apply to the verse 24 when it says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. Now, whenever you know the truth and you can discern, you also know there are results because of your decision that you make. And you want kids to understand this. There are consequences for your decisions. And these decisions you make, you're going to be making decisions for the rest of your life. And all of these decisions all have consequences. And it can drive you nuts trying to figure out what is the right decision. Sometimes I don't have a problem making the right decision once I know what the right decision is. Because sometimes it gets difficult. Because sometimes you can go in a different direction and neither one of them's wrong. Like, Lord... What city should I live in? I go to the post office. Oh, I got an email from the Lord. Thou shalt move to Tampa, Florida. Coming here was not the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. 
I had trouble trying to decide whether or not to do this, but a few people in the church told me what God's will was. Hello, Sandy. It was you and that other girl, that, uh, that blonde-headed girl. Oh, yeah, that one right there. You really got on my case. Yeah, that girl right there. Yeah, 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 you. Betty Dowdy. And uh, how do you know God doesn't want you to come? Have you prayed about it? No, I have not prayed about it. You say, why should I pray about it when I don't have a desire to come? But it's a strange how, you know, once you kind of decide upon something, it kind of gives you a little peace of mind when you believe that this is right and this is what I should do. I still remember there was about two people that didn't want me to come down here. I've been searching for them ever since I've been here. So I don't know, every time we have a vote, there's still the same two people that's uh, always against something. Now, but these scriptures are important because they teach you there are results. And so in verse 24, uh, 22 and 23, there's those who went in and there's those who didn't go in. And there's results, consequences. And you'll be surprised that if you'll put God first in your life, how God can richly bless your life. So now, let's look once again, because in verse 25, it tells you the rains are going to come. The troubles are going to come. He says, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. The testings, they're going to come. It's not if, but it's when. Because you're going to have trouble. You're going to have sorrow in this life. And so the reason for studying the word of God is so that you as an individual can stand strong. And then in your home, you want to guard your marriage as much as possible. And so that you um, can also teach the children the right thing. Like as men and women, they never mentioned the word in their whole marriage for 50 something years. They never mentioned the word divorce. Murder a couple times, but not the word divorce. So you uh, know that. And I will say this, women, as much as possible, for as long as possible, stay attractive, stay alluring, stay seductive. Say, what? That's how you got him. (laughs) I mean, you want to beautify yourself? And I'll tell you that sometimes, sometimes, you may feel like putting on all that makeup was a total waste of time. And like this one lady, she walked past this good-looking hunk. He says, uh, do you ever believe in love at first sight, or do I need to come by again? <laughs> if it didn't work the first time, well, we can try this again. Because a girl wants to be noticed. She wants to look as pretty as she possibly can. But then after you have got that bum, I mean that guy, <laughs> then it's like, Who cares? You know, stay attractive, stay alluring. And the man, you were once a wolf. Remember, you used to be a wolf. You chased her. Well, keep chasing. Keep trying to win her all the time. Don't just take her for granted. I want my wife to think she could never have gotten a better man than what she got. And I believe she wants the same thing this way. And, um... Maybe we'll get another 58 years out of this thing. Who knows? But you need to make sure you never criticize publicly with anybody. You never destroy that husband or wife in the ears of somebody else or in their eyes. 
You always exalt the one you are married to. Never talk down about your wife or your husband. You honor that man or you honor that wife. Because it's not good, it's not right. Because if you say anything against your wife or your husband, it's going to find its way back to them sooner or later. Don't do it. Because once he finds out what you've been saying about him or about her, it takes its toll in a marriage. Now, I've been doing marriage counseling for a long time. And I can tell you there's some things that can be devastating. You can put scars upon yourself. And some of those scars will never heal because they never stop picking at it. You've got to stop picking at things. Let things go. And some people can't let things go. You've got to have to be wise enough to do that. And also, I think you need to make provision for your wife in case something happens to you. And I, you say, why do that? Well, because generally it seems like the women outlive the men. So if the man is the possibility of him dying, he needs to make sure that his wife is taken care of because that's his responsibility. I never thought about that until I was in my 50s. And that's just the truth. Because uh, we, were, we were young, we were healthy, and nothing ever goes wrong, goes wrong, goes wrong, goes wrong, goes wrong. And so um, you think you're just going to live forever. And one day it came to me, I thought, if I drop dead, where does my wife live? I didn't have a clue. I was living in a parsonage up there at Northside Baptist Church. They got a little parsonage. There's a nice little place. But how do I know that those people are going to let my wife stay there if something happens to me? So I finally began to look, and I thought, well, I don't even have a home. I don't have a piece of land. So I began to try to find me something, and I finally I paid off a piece of little land. And then I didn't have money to have somebody else build it for me, so I took five years, and I built I got seconds everywhere I could find. I got logs and so forth and <laughs> six-by-sixes and, and the beams from out of a, a junkyard. And, and I put all the stuff together, and I built my own house. And when I got it through, I owed nobody anything on my house. But I did it the hard way. I didn't take out a loan to get it. But I paid through the nose by working half the time, day and night, to get whatever I wanted. And so, not saying, everybody, you can do that. I'm just saying, if you want to do something bad enough, you got to figure out, don't wait till the last minute. And I know there's sometimes there's people who do not take the time to make out a will. And I've had to go through some of these things with people who have all these problems because the husband died or the wife died and they took care of nothing. And then everything was lost because lawyers ate it all up in probate court. There's things that you can do. You need to be wise because it's your home. And God's talking about if a man does not provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. And that doesn't mean just as long as you're alive. It means when you're gone, what have you done to secure any kind of peace of mind and you know, provision for that loved one. You just need to think about it and then do what's right. Anyway, I could go on and on and on, but I hope that uh, you women appreciate what I've said because each one of y'all have told me to say this. <laughs> I'm joking. Not, that, that, that's not true. But look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God says that he loves us, but he hates what we do wrong. And since everybody sins, everybody is condemned. The wages of sin is death. That means we have to pay and go to a literal fire burning hell. But God wants to save us from hell. He says we can go to heaven, but we've got to get rid of sin. 
we can't live forever with the Lord in heaven with sin because wouldn't it be a shame to go to heaven and all of us do up there what we do down here? Then what's the difference? But God had a way. This hen represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. So to go to heaven, the only thing we have to do is believe that he did this for us. And when you believe it, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. God gives to you the free gift of everlasting life. It lasts forever. And our sins are all paid. That's why we can know we're going to heaven because we know we can't go to hell. No reason to go to hell. Why? That's why Christ died for me. He is my Savior. He paid for my sin so that I wouldn't have to pay for my sin. And you don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And therefore, once we have eternal life, we are God's child. We go to heaven whenever we die. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not right now in the quietness of this moment say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I believe you died on that cross, paid for my sins, and I'm going to trust you as my only hope of going to heaven. If you've never done so, would you do it right now? Or if you're watching by Internet, right there on the screen says, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. And if you are trusting Christ as your Savior, if you've already done it, you don't need to say yes on the screen. We're just talking about people who have never done so before. But if you're doing it for the first time, we'd love to know that. Is anyone else, before we close in prayer, say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it back down? If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're God's child. And I hope that some of the things that I have mentioned from those scriptures will help you to know if you're a man, yet yeah, be a man. If you're a woman, be a submissive wife. And set the right example for the children. And love them and help them to understand as much as you possibly can. You can't live their lives for them after they get old, old enough. But try to let them know that you care about them and you love them. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We ask your blessings upon those who are sick, not doing very well. And some that went to, um, on the trip to Israel. And Father, are needing to recover. So bless each one of them. Thank you for this church. Every person here. Those that are watching by internet, bless us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.